Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Calvin Seward. Calvin is a Berlin, Germany-based research scientist at Zalando, uh, and he's also pursuing his doctorate at Johannes Kepler University in Linz, Austria. Calvin, welcome to the show. Welcome. Folks who are listening to the show know that I was recently in Berlin, and I, in fact, connected with you while I was in Berlin, but unfortunately, we weren't able to connect locally, but we're connected now. So... I'm really looking forward to diving into our topic today, which is some work that you did not too long ago on warehouse optimization. But before we dive into that, why don't we spend a little bit of time having you introduce yourself to the audience? Yeah, thanks. So yeah, as I said, I'm, I'm Calvin Seward. Originally, I studied mathematics at the Humboldt University here in Berlin. And since then, I've been working at Salando. And so Zalando is the tech company that nobody's heard of. It's a, a very large online retailer based in Germany. And so it's more centered on fashion retail in the European market. So it's well known in Europe, but very not so well known in the rest of the world. And in addition to working at Zalando, I also am pursuing my doctorate. So the doctor's program, it's a cooperation between the Johannes Kepler University and Linz in Austria and Salando. And so it's it's really it's really nice. It's really fun because I I get to do research, but I also get to use Salando's resources, Salando's data. And so it's it's a really cool thing. Oh, that sounds like a great opportunity. It really is. How did you initially get interested in artificial intelligence? Somehow my my career it's always just been like, you know, whatever the next thing is, just do it. So I studied statistics, and so then when I started Salando, I was one of the, the first people doing data science, and I don't even think my title was data scientist. It was like data analyst or something like this, and so mm. at the beginning, we just did ad hoc reporting for, for management, trying to answer questions like, oh, should the article breadth be broader, or so should we have more articles, more different articles, or should it be deeper, so each article have more times so that so that it doesn't get sold out so quickly answering questions like that and then mm -hmm. slowly but surely the low-hanging fruit got dealt with and it became apparent that that in order to to keep up with the competition you know we had to step up our game and so that's how we got interested in in artificial intelligence because you know it was definitely the next big thing and something that can can drive a lot of customer value Maybe you can tell us a little bit about the warehouse optimization problem that you've worked on. Yeah, what we did was was we we first had had one project called the Okafi project, where where you can imagine the inside of warehouse. It looks like it looks like a, an offline retailer. Actually, it looks like Target or Safeway or Tesco or Kaufland or you know I don't know which country my listeners are going to be sitting in, but just one of these mm -hmm. large or Walmart, one of these large stores with a bunch of aisles with items and cross aisles. And people walk through these stores with shopping carts and they put items in the shopping cart and then they go to the checkout and leave. And so it's the same way in the in the offline or in the in the online warehouse. So 
what happens is our workers, they start off at this thing that we call the train station, and they pick up this cart that's empty, and then they walk through the aisles and the cross aisles, and they put items into their cart. And then when, when they've sort of completed their shopping list, they bring the cart back to the train station, and it's sent on to be processed and for the items to be sent to the customers. So then, then everybody knows when they're shopping that there's an efficient way and there's an inefficient way to walk through the store. And so you, you, first, you first buy your butter and your, and your milk because those are close to one another. And then you go off and buy the bread. You don't do the butter, then the bread, and then the milk. And so it's the same way in the offline, in the online warehouse that we want to, we want to know how to order the shopping list so that the worker mm-hmm. can walk through the warehouse in the in optimal way. So this is sort of a, a traveling salesman problem where you have a bunch of different locations that the worker has to visit. And then you want to be able to tell the worker how to visit the locations in the most efficient way. Mm-hmm. And so there was some research that was done about how to walk through the warehouse if the warehouse has, has a specific layout. And it's this so-called rope ladder layout. And so it's, it's, like, it's the same layout that you have in, in most large offline retail stores. And the rope ladder layout is, well, tell us specifically what that means. Is you have uh, aisles and cross aisles, and mm-hmm. each cross aisle or each aisle is is the same length, and they have, and they're 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 aligned with one another. So it's not like you have you have this weird jog that you have to make. Okay. So so it's kind of a simplification, and I guess now that I'm visualizing it, rope ladder is you know just simply trying to create that visual of two long rows with a bunch of cross aisles, that kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. It looks like a rope ladder. Got it. Yeah, and so and so there was some work that was already done on optimizing for this for this setup, but what was missing was was the the people who who work in the warehouse, they they have these big carts that they push around and they're they're actually mm-hmm. quite quite large because they can carry a lot of items. Okay, but they're they're sort of difficult to handle, and so it's the same way if if you're shopping offline, if if you if your cart is fairly full, then you generally leave it in the cross aisle and you walk into the aisle without the cart and collect your collect your items and then return to the cart. Mm. And so we wanted to be able to tell the workers, okay, how best to to handle the cart. So we extended this algorithm and we come up with this this algorithm that we call the copy algorithm, and so this is called optimal cart pick algorithm. It's able to tell the warehouse workers how best to walk through the warehouse and where to leave the cart so that the warehouse worker knows he can always just leave his cart where the algorithm suggests it and then and then walk to the different locations and get the items. And he knows that the, that the algorithm will always bring him back to the cart before he gets too much stuff that he can carry, you know, okay. too many things to carry. And so this is this has absolutely nothing to do with machine learning. Let me just say that. So if, if mm-hmm. people think, "Oh, where's the machine learning?" It's it's still not here yet. This is a, a fairly straightforward, discrete optimization problem, where you just have to you have this list of items, and you have to decide how to order the items. You have these list of cart locations that you can put the cart, and you've got to insert the cart locations in there somehow, and then you've got to optimize the sky. It's a dynamic programming algorithm, so it the optimization works is linear in the number of number of aisles so so it's it's got a reasonable enough complexity okay before we 
move on, you mentioned traveling salesman problem and, you know, folks that have done any work in computer science would, you know, probably be familiar with that. But in case there are folks that aren't familiar with the implications of, you know, something being essentially a TSP, what does that mean in terms of, you know, how we know how to, to solve that problem? Oh, there's, there's lots of literature on, on solving traveling salesman problems. But at the end of the day, it's an NP-hard problem. So NP-hard means, means that it's something that, in the most general case, is exponentially complex. And so there's lots of heuristics about how to solve it. But you can imagine that, that this traveling salesman problem. So, so the idea is that the, way, the place that the name comes from is you have a bunch of different locations. And you have some salesman, and he starts at his house, and he wants to then go visit all the locations, and he wants to do it in a way to where to where the distance that he travels is minimal. And so there's lots of heuristics on it, and obviously, if, if the locations are, are organized in a in a nice way, then how best to do it is is fairly clear. For example, if all the dimensions lie on or all the locations lie on a on a one dimensional line, then it's fairly clear how best to travel, but already in two dimensions, it becomes difficult. So this rope ladder warehouse layout is, is one of these special cases. You can think of it like the, the single dimensions case where you just have a line. It's a special case to where you can efficiently solve the traveling salesman problem. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then you mentioned the, your cart handling strategy component of this, where you're trying to figure out where, to, where the worker can park their cart do you also need to consider anything along the lines of bin packing or cart capacity or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, it's something you can consider. But at the end of the day, it's not a huge deal because mm-hmm. basically you just try and try and make the pick list as large as possible. And then if, if the cart gets too full, then there's a button for the for the warehouse worker where he just says, my cart is full. And then he goes back to the train station and gets a new cart and the system deals with that. So, okay. so that's, not, that's not really a big problem. Okay. And so you mentioned that the formulation of this problem, this Okapi algorithm is, you know, we're at discrete optimization. It's not yet machine learning. How is the discrete optimization problem solved in practice? So for us, it's a dynamic programming algorithm. That's what it. That's what it's called. And so, so I mean, I've, I, there's a couple of articles online. You can you can Google it where I, I explain this. So let me let me try and remember how how best to explain it. But the idea of, of dynamic programming is that you you know that there's a lot of different combinations, but each combination will there's these transitions between combinations, and they can only take on a, a certain finite number of states. And so you just look for the best combination for each transition. And so the way this looks in, in practice is, is imagine we have our, our rope ladder way, layout with only two cross aisles. Okay. Okay. And then, then imagine we, we sort of split it, split it in half. All right. Mm-hmm. So then there's these two cross aisles. And so, and we're not, don't think about the cart. We're not thinking about the cart. We're just thinking about the optimal way to walk. Okay. Then there's a couple of different things that, that, that can happen. Either the worker, he, he doesn't walk. So these, these two cross aisles, so the, these two little cross aisle sections that are in the middle. Okay. Mm-hmm. So either the worker doesn't walk 
on those. So that means that his entire pick route was either the left or the right. Mm -hmm. Or it can happen that he only walks. So he's got to return to where he started. Yeah. So that means that he walks once on both of them. So he walks on the, on the top cross aisle. He walks once and on the bottom cross aisle, he walks once. All right. Mm -hmm. Or it's possible that he walks twice at the top or it's possible that he walks twice at the bottom or it's possible that he walks twice at both the top and the bottom. So these are all the different states that are possible. And Mm -hmm. so what you can do then is no matter what your optimal solution is on the left and no matter what your optimal solution is on the right, they're going to have to communicate with each other via these, these seven different states. So if you can sort of recursively find the optimal solution for the left, what you can do is then you can recursively find seven different optimal solutions for these seven different transitions. I I don't remember if it was exactly seven, but for these seven different transitions, you can know, okay, what's the optimal solution going to be? And then you Mm -hmm. just calculate, okay, what's, what's the, what's the optimal route for the next cross aisle or the next aisle section and for these seven different transitions. And then you do that recursively until you get to the end. And so then instead of having to think about every single different combination, you're always just trying to figure out, okay, what's the best one for these seven different states? Okay, if I could try to paraphrase that, you, again, we're looking at this warehouse with this rope ladder configuration, and you can basically, you know, chunk it down into, you know, sections of the rope ladder with two cross aisles and then solve the the optimization problem locally. And then that's all kind of strung together recursively to give you an overall optimal strategy. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. It's hard to, hard to explain. The first time I read the paper, I was also like, what, what's going on here? (laughs) I also saw you mention in some of your writing simulated annealing. Is that this process that we just described or is that something different? Okay. No. So that's, that's definitely the next step. So, okay. Now what we got was we got this this Okapi algorithm. So Okapi is is short for optimal cart pick. Okay. And it works well, but but since we have larger warehouses that are more than just just two cross aisles and since we have this cart business going on, it takes like a second or so to calculate calculate what the what the optimal route will, will end up being. All right? Okay. So it's so if, if you're just trying to figure out the, the route for the warehouse worker, you already have your pick list together, then it's fine. But the next step is, of course, to, to optimize the pick list because mm-hmm. every day the warehouse workers pick you know hundreds of thousands of pick lists. And if you can optimize these to where each pick list has items that are fairly close to one another and optimize it to where the pick lists are fairly large and and batches don't have to be picked from very many zones of the warehouse, then this is this is a real good thing. But in order to do this, you have to sort of know how long a hypothetical pick list will end up being. And this one second thing is really a big constraint because then you can't try out, you know, thousands and thousands of different combinations without racking up a a huge Amazon Web Services bill that's prohibitive. <laughs> so what we did is we... So just, just to make sure I'm understanding there, you, with this Okapi algorithm, that'll give you the 
basically the routing for an individual you know pick list and picker and then in order to figure out the best way to organize the pick list and like the orders you have to just brute force that so you go through and run this L copy algorithm a bunch of times with a bunch of pick lists is that the idea yeah well i mean even if you're using simulated kneeling you still have to i mean so yeah there's there's methods better than brute force like simulated kneeling but even there you have to try out a bunch of different combinations okay so you're you're never going to you're never going to get around having to try out try out a bunch of different combinations of, of pick lists to see which ones end up being super long and which ones end up being quite reasonable and so your problem comes in when you've got when it takes 1 second to try out one of these combinations to do that at scale takes a really long time. Exactly. Exactly. I think you had a, an example of, I don't know if this mapped to the a, kind of a real life Zalando configuration, but like 2000 years. To, to yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's like <laughs> Jesus, Jesus would order his shoes and he still wouldn't have them now. <laughs> so, You've got the two problems and your focus was on trying to reduce the time it takes to calculate, is it to calculate an optimal route or to calculate the length of a route given a pick list? Yeah, to calculate the length of the optimal route given the pick list. Got it. Okay. We're not actually calculating for this stuff where we're trying to figure out which order goes with which pick list or which which order should be in which pick list. We don't actually have to know what the route should be. We just need to know how long the optimal route would end up being. Okay. And so we want to decrease that time because whether we're using brute force or simulated annealing or some other kind of heuristic, it's still going to be dependent on the amount of time it takes us to figure out the length of the optimal route for a given pick list. Exactly. Exactly. So there's two different, two different levers we can pull to speed things up. One is, you know, better simulated needling heuristics. The other one is just make this this bottleneck, which is calculating the the length of a pick list faster. Mm-hmm. All right, and that's where machine learning comes in. Exactly, exactly. Now we're finally going to get to machine learning. <laughs> I hope the audience is still with us right now. I'm sure they are, because this is this is their time. Okay. Okay. If if you've been if you've been tuning out, now's your time to tune back in. So what we do then is we use the Zocopy algorithm to generate data that we learn on. So we just we just generate millions and millions of random pick lists, and we put these through uh through the Okapi algorithm. So we had you know a bunch of different CPU cores just running at the same time taking a random pick list, calculating how long how long that would take, and then spitting out the answer. And so these these computers, they generated our training data. And then with this training data where we've got you know pick lists, so we, we know where the articles are that need to be picked and how many there are and how long it would take for the optimal route to get picked. So given these two guys, we can then we can then feed this information into a neural network and train that neural network and get some sort of a good result. And so 
So there's lots of stuff you can you can simulate. Yeah. And some of it will will be good for neural networks and some of it probably won't. For example, if you if you think of some sort of a, a fancy hashing algorithm that that tries to avoid hash collisions, you can obviously simulate this, but you wouldn't be able to get a neural network to to give you the same output because the whole idea of hashing algorithms is that it's that it's, you know, as non-continuous as possible. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for this copy thing, it, it works very nicely because you can imagine if you if you just have have one pick and you move it around in the warehouse, if you just move it a little bit, it won't change change the pick route very much. So if you move it a little bit in the cross aisle or in, in the aisle, it won't change the pick pick route very much because mm-hmm. the worst thing that can happen is if you move it, you know, a foot, worst thing that happen, can happen is the warehouse worker has to has to walk an extra foot to get there. It's not so linear in the cross aisle. So if, if you have a pick that's in the middle of the aisle and you move it the next aisle over, could be that mm-hmm. it, it, it creates a big jump because then the warehouse worker, he may have been going to that aisle already. And then this new aisle, he wasn't planning on going there. And so then the okay. the distance is quite a lot larger. But still, it's, you know, it's not these huge jumps. So right. So that's one reason why it's a nice thing to model with neural networks. And then the the dependencies between the articles are also nice because because obviously it's not just some linear sum. You know, if this article is here and this article is here, the distance that the guy has to walk is the sum of the two distances, but it's this complex dependency between all the different articles. But this is this is sort of more locally dependent. So it's less of one of these situations where the, the butterfly's wings in Japan cause a, uh, an earthquake in, in mm-hmm. LA <laughs> situations. But it's, right. it's more that as you shift articles around, it really only has, it generally, I mean, sometimes there's exceptions, but generally it really just has an effect on how the warehouse worker walks in that area. And it doesn't have too much of an effect on, on far-flung corners of the warehouse. And so mm-hmm. because of this, because we don't have too many jumps and the, the function is somewhat continuous, it makes it to where it's good for neural networks. And because, mm-hmm. because local structures are more important than global structures, we can use convolutional neural networks because the convolutional filters, they only focus on local features. And then they combine these local features together as they move up through the hidden layers. Mm. So then let me take a second to kind of recap. Basically, we want to get the time to figure out the optimal path length for this, you know, for picking an order down. Neural networks is probably a great way to do that. And essentially what we're trying to do is we're trying to train a neural network to approximate this Okapi algorithm and we do that by generating a bunch of random pick lists and throwing them through the Okapi algorithm to generate the path length. So basically generating our training data through by throwing random data through this Okapi algorithm and then using that to train our neural network. Exactly. Exactly. And so I guess one question that I've got is it, you know, you found that it, you know, at one second per route to run things through this, or it takes a second to run a route through this Okapi algorithm. And in order to, you know, fully explore the state space for like a real warehouse, it would take 2000 something years if you did all of those, you know, what 
how much coverage do you need in order to you know, accurately train a neural network to do this? What, you know, what percent of that state space or how many training samples do you need? Well, we didn't really say, oh, we have to have exactly this accuracy, but we just said, oh, you know, we've got this machine here. Let's create enough pick lists where the machine runs for, for a week or so. And then, and then because we've got other things to do this week and then next week we'll, we'll come back and look at the results. So that's the way it works a lot of times, you know, and mm-hmm. then we looked at the got results it. and we're like, eh, it's good enough. And then, and then that was, and <laughs> okay. that's how it happened. So it wasn't like we explored, Oh, how many, how many pick lists do we have to create to get this accuracy? But it was just sort of these practical considerations that were more got at, it. at the, at the forefront. And then, you know, I typically associate convolutional neural nets with image processing types of tasks, but yet it worked in this case based on the, you know, this locality aspect of the problem. Does it was the, did you have to jump through any intermediate steps to kind of format the process so that it, or format the input data so that it looked like an image, or are you just kind of feeding it, you know, data that, you know, was natural to the problem and, you know, without any kind of intermediate steps. I think that at the end of the day, we use CAFE for this. So this was uh, this was back in the dark days before TensorFlow. Mm-hmm. And so there you had different different input layers. And I think we figured out that the, the TTIF, it's an image format. I think that we figured out that that was the most convenient, convenient layer to use. So yeah, the pick list we... We transformed them into a TTIF image, and we okay. fed these images in there. Okay. Interesting. But I mean, this is really just a, a stupid technical detail. It was it right. just it was just because of of the the different input layers in Cafe, and so if we had done it with TensorFlow now, it would have been a, a whole different story. Okay. And so the you used a convolutional network to model this how did you arrive at the ultimate architecture of that network and the you know the number of layers and the configuration of those layers and all that stuff oh we tried out a couple of different things and then one of them worked and we were happy <laughs> but okay i mean there's there's a little bit of dark dark arts this sort of thing mm-hmm. and and we we knew we knew sort of like what the interactions are between different articles and so we said okay you know because of these interactions, maybe the filter size should be about this this large, and we knew how complex the interactions could be, so the depth of the network should be around here, and then tried out a couple of different combinations. And, and at the end of the day, I mean, these these TTIF images were were not not particularly large because mm-hmm. each each aisle is then one one pixel, and each each cross aisle, or and then and then the depth the depth of the cross aisle that's that's in a or the depth of an aisle is then sort of a proc- approximation because obviously these articles are, are located at some discrete spot or at some continuous spot, but you have to make it into a discrete pixel. So it's a little bit of an approximation, mm-hmm. but pff, who cares? And so and so the images were not particularly large. So we were feeding through, and so you could train it very quickly and within within the course of, of a day and just try out a bunch of different things and just see what works best. Be done with it. Okay. All right. Awesome. And so you did that. And what were you able to accomplish in terms of getting your your time down that you were trying to accomplish? 
Oh yeah, no, that was that was really good. So I, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it's definitely under under a millisecond. So so I, I did I did a benchmark, and that's that's in one of the blog articles where where we just then then ran it, and we we had different configurations because obviously with uh with this sort of thing, it's it's a whole lot more efficient if you don't just calculate one pick list, but calculate a batch of pick lists together. Mm-hmm. So if you're able to take your pick lists and put them in a big batch and calculate that whole batch. And if you had a large enough batch, maybe 30 or 40 pick lists, then you were, you were well under a millisecond. And so this was a huge improvement. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. And, and also, also just, I mean, you didn't even have to use fancy hardware, a millisecond on the CPU. Yeah. So if we had used the GPU, sure, it would have been even faster, but... And the millisecond corresponds to inference against the trained network exactly. as opposed to, and, and that's why it's so fast. Yeah. Yeah. Learning is obviously a little bit slower because mm-hmm. there you have the forward pass, the backwards pass, the weight updating and all this other business going on. Mm-hmm. And so that, that you really want to do on the GPU. But when you're just inferring afterwards, it's a small network. So you can, you can just infer in small pictures, small network. So you can just infer on the CPU. And you're already you're already very fast, and obviously for for when you're deploying it to a live system, people always like it when you can deploy it to a large diff- number of different hardware setups, and you don't have to have one specific GPU. So mm-hmm. that's always a big advantage. Awesome. So you solved this problem. Where did you go next? That was one of the last warehouse problems that we actually dealt with. Because at the end of the day, you can think think of it this way, you know, if you solve these warehouse problems, it's really great because it makes it to where fulfillment costs are lower, the item gets there faster, so everybody wins. The customers, they, they're happier because they, they don't have to pay as much for fulfillment costs. We win because we don't have to have such large warehouses because everything more, works more efficiently. But at the end of the day, the maximum you know win you can make is whatever your fulfillment costs are. If you can manage to be so efficient that fulfillment is for free, then, mm-hmm. then that's the maximum you can get. Whereas if you develop new products that really excite customers and make it to where you can, you can engage with customers who, who weren't engaging with you beforehand, the potential winnings are... Pfft, you know, just through the roof. There's no limit to that. And so and so we said, okay, we want to try and get away from just incrementally eking out a little bit of efficiency here and there. And we want to get into things that that really create new ways of interacting with with fashion and interacting with e commerce. Mm-hmm. And so and so I think you see this a lot I go to a lot of, you know, industry conferences and I really see this a lot that there's this progression in companies and the first thing that they do is they they have all this data sitting around and the first thing they do is they realize oh we can use this data to drive efficiency mm-hmm. that was that was one of the first projects that that i i helped contribute to was was this this forecast where we you know tried to predict which articles would be returned so that we could have enough workers at the warehouse on the day that these articles would be coming back because we didn't, you know, the customers, they just put them in the mail when they want to return them. So we don't really know how many articles are going to come to us on a given day. Yeah. But we were able to use data and, and fairly accurately predict which articles were going to be returned when, 
and make it to where the, the right number of workers were there. So this was, it was a driver of efficiency is very nice. So a lot of companies, that's the first thing that they do is they take some sort of existing process mm-hmm. and they make it a little bit more efficient with, with data science and with machine learning. And then you can go to the, the next thing, which is this project that I've talked about now, which is you create new processes that drive efficiency through, through data science. So mm-hmm. any, sort of, any sort of consideration of how to split the pick lists or split the orders between pick lists to optimize, to optimize the, the, the actual walking distance, this was completely impossible without Okapi. So no one even thought about trying to do it. But right. by having a copy, you were able to come up with new processes. And by having data science, you were able to come up with new processes that drive efficiency. But for the customer, nothing has changed. There's absolutely no new products. Right. For him, it could have been you know, just a bunch of business people sitting around you know, coming up with business rules. He doesn't notice the difference. Mm-hmm. But what's really great is when you can then come up with new products like like a really great recommender, really great search, all these self-driving cars is obviously also an example. We don't we don't have that. We're not working on that. But these are <laughs> these are products that are that are genuinely new and wouldn't have been possible and are new for the customer too. And this is this is where where the big future is at. Hmm. It's interesting that your examples are recommenders and searches. I think of those as kind of these existing things that we do much like the warehouse we do them you know using either brute force or you know brute force ish things that feel like brute force in their sophistication and not necessarily like you know wholly new kind of user experiences do you have some examples of the way that you're thinking about recommendations in search that illustrate you know where the the new opportunities come in for you yeah, so it's a great question because because yeah, obviously, for example, for document search, you can you can always have some some strange business rules that come up with documents. But I guess you're you're old enough to remember, you know, what searching the internet was like before Google came around. It was mm-hmm. it was a completely different animal. Yes, there was right. search, but it was so frustrating. Right. And it's the same way with like old speech recognition systems. Yes, it was so there were systems, but they were so frustrating that it's as if, you know, if something's unusable, then it's pointless, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. So I'm saying, sure, you can always come up with something that does something, but if it's so frustrating, then it's pointless. And it's the same mm-hmm. way with self-driving cars. I mean, even back in the day, they had these cars that somehow were able to tell where the line was and stay between it but they were in no way shape or form safe and so you know what's the point if it right if it's this russian roulette but by using data science you can you can cross this threshold between something that's unusable and something that's usable and Mm. that's what i mean by enabling a new product enabling a product that's usable that's what i guess i mean okay before we and, and the... okay and, and and so so go ahead to extend this there are different ways of searching you know the the classic search is just you you have it's it's this sort of document based search you have you have your text field you type something in blue dress or whatever and then and then you get a list of blue dresses 
And I think that there's there's definitely ways that we can improve this. So we came up we came up, for example, with a little Tinder a Tinder for fashion articles ones where you swipe left, swipe right, and and mm, you get mm-hmm. shown different stuff. And so it wasn't like okay. it wasn't all that usable, but it was a fun thing, and it was like just a way of of showing that search can be different than box at the top and then display results at the bottom. Right. I've also seen companies in the space experimenting with image-based search, you know, similarity, things like that. Is that the general direction that you guys are headed with this kind of stuff? Oh yes, definitely. Definitely. We we I mean, fashion, it's so so I mean, if you're if you're like searching you know, Amazon, they start off with books. And then when you search for a book, it's fairly simple because you don't, right. you don't judge a book by its cover. You search for the author and the title. But in fashion, you do judge a dress by, by its picture. And it's right. very difficult to, even for experts, to describe a dress, use words to describe exactly what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. And so, and then if you have a layperson, and they're they're trying to wade through our, our huge assortment and trying to find something fairly specific in, in this assortment with over a hundred thousand articles. Then it's going to be very difficult for them to find the right article unless we have more clever search search things than just using metadata, just right. using some some description that some that some people have hand annotated. Mm-hmm. Which obviously it works for books, it works for computers. You just sort of say what sort of What's sort of RAM you want? What sort of processor you want? And bam, you've got your results. But you can't do that with dresses and mm-hmm. fashion articles. I guess when I think of how that process is done today, not necessarily for fashion, but you know, with other e-commerce search experiences, it seems like the you know that search and research experience is largely driven by, as you said, metadata. In the fashion space, to the extent that it's currently, you know, still driven by metadata, where does that come from? Is that, I guess you already said, it's basically hand, it's all handcrafted, right? Yeah, yeah, it's handcrafted and it's just been, it's been a very open question as to how to extract data from unstructured or how to extract insights, useful insights from unstructured data. And pictures are very much an unstructured data. But like one thing that you can do that's fairly easy, even with today's, uh, today's understanding, is it's, it's fairly easy to come up with, with neural networks that are able to say if, if fashion idol articles are similar or dissimilar based on the picture. Mm-hmm. And, and then you can, you can use the similarity measure to help improve your recommendation system. So then at the bottom, it's always like, oh, Customers who like this also clicked on this, you know, and then then you can improve the the recommendation experience that way. Mm-hmm. That's definitely an, an easy low hanging fruit, even with with today's image recognition stuff. Okay. Uh, well, let me ask you this: when you're working on a problem like the warehouse optimization problem, where there are existing processes, or if not existing processes, existing costs associated with that and you're comparing that to something that is more or less wholly new like a new user experience for discovery or for you know for searching for items 
it strikes me that you have to take a very different approach in building out the business case for these two types of things. And that, you know, depending on the culture of the of an organization, the management team, et cetera, you know, it may be more difficult to do one than the other. Do you have any insights on navigating that process based on your experience working across these different types of problems? And the, you know, as you described it, kind of the, you know, the maturity of, you know, starting from, you know, one type of problem and moving to the next and then moving to the next? Yeah, that's, that's a really great question. And I would, I would say that, that the most important thing is, is that you, you have management that's forward thinking enough to know that, that these sort of things is not an easy win. And it's not a win that, that happens immediately, but it's something where you have to invest for a while before you get something good. And you really don't know exactly how long that's going to take. So management is really important. And then these, these managers, they then have to say, okay, you know, we're going to not try and devote all of our resources just to the next release cycle, but we're also going to devote some resources to things that are not going to pay off immediately. And so I work in Salande Research, and that's what we do. That's what we try and try and focus on is things mm-hmm. that are more of long-term benefit and less short-term. And so it's really great that the Salando management team has has decided that this is a really important thing, and this is this is really something that I I find hard to find in a lot of companies. And so I'm really happy about this. And then from our perspective it's helpful to not put all your eggs in one basket. So don't just focus on one one deliverable, but focus on a portfolio of deliverables. So <laughs> we try and we try and focus on four main things. We focus on prestige is one. So things like what I'm doing right now with talks and podcasts and generating excitement for for Zalando and the great research we're doing. We focus mm-hmm. on products, new products. We focus on papers, mm-hmm. so academic publications to to really sell sell the great research we're doing within the academic community. And we focus on patents, patenting. Whenever we come up with new ideas, we patent them because the patent portfolio is also very valuable. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So you mentioned prestige, patents, publications, and some other things. It sounds like from that that you guys are very active out in the machine learning community as well as the e-commerce communities. How can folks in the listening audience who want to learn more about the kinds of things you're doing, how can folks find you and and find all that good stuff? Ah, that's a great question. We have a tech blog, so the Solano tech blog. And it's not just us that, that writes this blog, but there's lots of different techies at Zalando who, who write to this. And so, and there's also a Zalando research page where, where different projects are detailed that we're working on. Those are two great ways to, to get started. And if you like what you see, you can always send us a job application. We're always looking for a new, excited data scientists and researchers. So those are two great ways to get, get into what we're doing. Awesome. And I'll include links to those in the show notes. Yes. Calvin, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much. Yes. Yes. Thanks for taking the time. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. Thanks so much for listening and for your continued feedback and support. For the notes for this episode, to ask any questions or to let us know how you like the show, 
please, please, please leave a comment on the show notes page at twimlai.com slash talk slash 38. Thanks again to our sponsors, Bonsai and Wise.io at GE Digital. For more information about Bonsai, visit bonds.ai slash And for more on GE Digital, visit ge.com slash digital. Once you're done with this show, take 30 seconds to head over to twimlai.com slash AISF to enter our giveaway for a free ticket to the AI conference in San Francisco. You could be one of two lucky winners. For more information on industrial AI, my report on the topic, or the industrial AI podcast series, visit twimlai.com slash industrial AI. Thanks again for listening and catch you next time.